Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners. Welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. Thank you so much for joining us today, wherever you are in the world. If you like this episode, please do subscribe. I have a passionately exciting guest to share with you today. His name is Reverend Howard Storm. In 1985, while dying in a hospital in Paris, France, Howard Storm had a near-death experience and involved being tormented in hell. His NDE also involved calling out to Jesus, being saved, given a life review and having all his questions answered. From that experience, Howard Storm ceased being an atheist and is now a Christian pastor. Howard was ordained in 1992 and served Zion United Church of Christ, Norwood, Ohio, United Church of Christ of Covington, Ohio, and is currently serving St. Mark's United Church of Christ, Latona, Kentucky. From 1972 to 1992, he was a professor of art and head of the Department of Art at Northern Kentucky University. His degrees are a BFA from San Francisco Art Institute, MA and MFA from University of California, Berkeley, and an MDIV from United Theological Seminary. They're they're tongue twisters. Howard has written four books based on his experience and has participated in over 30 overseas mission trips and countless missions in the US. Currently, there's a Hollywood movie being produced by Alcon Studios based on his story, This is his story, and this is his passion. Howard, welcome to Passion Harvest. Thanks. Great to be with you, Louisa. Thank you so much for joining me. I can't wait to dive right in. This is going to be very exciting. Um, What an an experience and experiences you had just prior to your NDE, your near-death experience. What were the events, or what were you like prior to your near-death experience? Um, From... My point of view then, I was a very successful man. I became a uh, tenured full professor at the university within a few years of starting. So I was in my mid-20s and um, I was a full professor and I became a department head of uh, the art department at Northern Kentucky University. Um, I was exhibiting my artwork. I had several galleries that um, handled my work. I was selling a little work and I was winning some prizes and things like that. so on, you know, married, kids, house, all that, but that's all superficial stuff, really. Um, what I was like, it said, it was very aggressive. I was a bully, uh, very strong-willed, and uh, extremely um, self-centered. Um, everything in the world was about me and my career. And I believe that as a, to be a successful artist, you had to be that way. And when you read the uh, biographies of many artists, whether they be actors or musicians or painters or sculptors or whatever they're all like um they're just bastards you know to everybody because they are obsessed you know with their genius and that and that was me and i thought that was the way i was supposed to be and i was oh and by the way i was also uh an atheist all of my friends were atheists and um i thought uh 
you know, that was um, a sign of intelligence and only uh, people who are um, deficient in intellect believed in anything beyond uh, the material world. Interesting. And I have to say, it takes a very strong man to admit that as well. To do what? To admit that you were like oh. that. and <laughs> Well, I'm not proud of it. I believe I'm me, proud I'm not of you proud for, of it. for talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you went to Paris with your wife. Yes, um, we had, uh, I had a group of students and my wife and we went all over um, Netherlands, uh, Denmark, Sweden, uh, then Germany, and then a week in France. And we were on the last day, it was a three week tour. And that's when, um, on June 1st, 1985, um, I collapsed at 11 o'clock in the morning in our room. Gosh, and then you were taken to the hospital. Right. Um, and had a profound, life-changing experience. Yeah. I, before I before I go into it, I want to say I, I love the French. I've been back to France. Um, I love oh, I love Paris. I mean, you know, ooh la la, ooh la la. The French are wonderful people, and a whole other thing. But the uh, I was taken to the big city hospital, examined by doctors. They told me I had an hour to live, or I would die, because I had a perforation of my small stomach, um, and. Uh, they sent me over to the surgical hospital because it was a Saturday. There was no surgeon available. So I was parked in a room and I was not seen by a doctor uh, for the next 10 hours. Wow. And you were obviously given medication and all sorts of care. I was given nothing. I was writhing in agony and given nothing. Well, I mean, even, even, you know, being in a, in a foreign country, a foreign city in, in different language and, and such extreme pain and potentially an hour to live is very, a, a, that in itself is an extremely confronting experience. And then you left your body. Yeah, um, nurse came in at 8.30 that night. This happened at 11 in the morning. I was at the French hospital by 11.30. I was in that surgical hospital by noon and uh, at 8.30 that night nurse came in and said uh, they were sorry they were not able to locate a doctor and they would try and get one the next day Sunday well every doctor I've talked to in the United States told me that um, I should have died in a few hours um, but I was uh, 38 years old I was very strong and I really didn't want to die because I was, <laughs> was going to say scared to death but that's like <laughs> not a good metaphor um, <laughs> I was terrified of dying because I knew that when you died, it's like finito, finished, the end. Kaput. That's the atheist view, I guess. That That's it. When you're dead, you're dead. Yeah. I mean, say I've seen, you know, I've seen animals die and they, they don't, there's no little, you know, angel going rising up to heaven out of them. You know, they're dead. I mean, um, you know, you can't, you can't see it. You can't measure it. So. How, how could you possibly believe there would be something after this? So um, I'm going to give you a brief outline of what happened to me because it's very um, vivid to me even today, even though it's been 35 years, it's, I, I can get back into it way too easily. Um, and it would take me hours and hours and hours and days to talk about it in detail. So I'll just give you an outline. Um, I am... Um, 
when the wife, when the nurse told me that um, there was no doctor, I, I knew it was time to give up because the pain was had been excruciating for hours. I mean, if you talk to anyone about um, a perforated stomach, they'll tell you the pain's just way over the top. And it's very, very hard to breathe. For hours and hours, I'd been struggling to breathe, so I just knew it was time to let go. So I said, my wife and I said our goodbyes and all that. And, um, I went unconscious and then I woke and I felt wonderful, better than I'd ever felt in my whole life. And I was so happy. It's like, wow, you know, I'm, no, I'm no all better. Pain. Yay. <laughs> this is great. Um, I became very angry with my wife and my roommate, who was a Frenchman, Monsieur Florent, because um, they would not acknowledge that I was there yelling and screaming at them. Um, what's going on, you know, what's happening, things like that. And there was one thing that was very disturbing and that there was something in my bed that looked just like me, which I um, refused to believe was me because I was, I was all better. Yeah. And that, that me in the bed couldn't be me, even though it bore an, an amazing resemblance to me. Um, I heard people calling me outside the room and I went to them. I thought they were going to take me uh, to a doctor because I've been waiting all day to see a doctor and I've not seen one. And uh, they inferred that's, that's who they were. They didn't say it, but they inferred that. So I left the room and I had a really bad feeling um, about them and leaving the room. But being a real man, um, I was, uh, I believed to ignore my feelings. You know, you don't trust your feelings. You know, you go with, go with reason. Um, I'm quite the opposite now. I'm very much into my feelings, you know, um, intuition, you know, et cetera. So uh, I went with them. They took me into abject darkness on a very long journey. And then they turned on me and they tore me apart. And my understanding of them were they were people who had been much like me in this world who um, had lived for their own gratification and now uh, when they died they'd gone into this place where they could um, uh, devolve into just living for their own gratification which was domination and uh, cruelty um, and they were they were simply um, processing me Indoctrinating, indoctrinating me into their world. Right. Um, it was brutal and it was horrible. And ultimately um, there was nothing in me to resist. And I heard a voice say, pray to God. And I thought, I don't believe in God. And the voice said, pray to God. And I thought, I don't know how to pray. I can't pray. And the voice said, pray to God. And I, I was trying to remember things. And I came up with a couple little bits and pieces of things that I remembered from my childhood, going to Sunday school and stuff. And um, they were horrified, the people around me. And they were saying to me in very, very vulgar language, there is no God. Nobody can hear you. And we're going to do much worse things to you if you don't stop immediately. Well, that encouraged me to uh, strike back at them with more God stuff, which what I was doing was um, really crude, but it was effective um, in driving them off. And in that place, I thought about my life and who I'd been. And um, 
I came to the conclusion that my life was um, uh, a, a big delusion of mine. I mean, my greatness. My, my life wasn't a delusion. My, my, my role in life was um, my own delusion. And uh, that I'd had um, very failed relationships with everybody, including my wife, my kids, my mother, my father, my sisters, my uh, friends, my students. And it was just like, what? Um, what had I really succeeded in? And when I came to the conclusion, it was nothing. Yeah. And uh, I, I knew that I belonged in this place, but I didn't want to be in this place. And I knew that this place was, um, this, I can't talk about this too much because it's too confusing, but there's no time down there. Right. You know, a minute is a year, um, an hour is an eon. I mean, you know. You could have been there for eternity. Yeah. And you use the word down there. What, what, what do you mean by down there? Um, that, that, that's a good question. Um, sort of an, an ex, a, a subhuman existence. Okay. Um, I, I don't know. I don't really know where this is located because I believe what I did was I had moved into a different dimension. That's why my wife and Monsieur Florin couldn't see me because my, uh, I had my vibratory state yes. was no longer part. I mean, I, I could see this world and I could be, be in the physical world, but I was no longer part of this physical world. Um, I think you understand perfectly. Yes, I, I, I do understand. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying. So, um, I went into deep, deep uh, despair. And in that place, I remembered um, my faith as a little child, believing in this superhero guy um, who wore a robe instead of a cape. <laughs> anyways, and I, when I was a little kid, I prayed to him and he had chased the... Uh, lions and tigers of bear, bears away from my bed in the middle of the night. And he had, you know, protected me when I was scared and lonely or, yeah. <laughs> you know, when my sisters teased me and stuff. Anyways, so um, I had no idea whether he was real or true or anything, but I, it, it, it was the only idea I had. It was my only little tiny hope, uh, the, uh, the hope of a little child. Um, and so I called upon him and he came and as a brilliant white light and he reached down and he touched me and all of my gore just sort of drifted away and I was complete. Um, and much more importantly that he filled me with a love that um, is so beyond what we experience as love in this world that it's not really adequate to describe it. Um, you compressed all your experiences love into moment that would only still be a fraction of his love. And he filled me with that. And I, I want to add one thing um, that I think is important to say. I also knew that he really, really liked me. Not just, he didn't just love me. He liked me. He cared about me. And nobody ever cared about me like that. Not even my mom, who was a really saintly woman who, you know, loved her only son very much. But I mean, he, he just thought I was something, and I and I just knew that. And he picked me up, and he held me very firmly against him with his arms around me and rubbed my back. And I held on to him, and I was never, ever going to let go of him. 
and I'm, I mean, that's 35 years ago, and I'm still trying to hang on to him, but unfortunately, mm -hmm. he's not physically right here to hold on to, but I'm, and, and every other one, I'm trying to hold on to him, because he's, um, um, the best, and he took me out of that place, and he took me up out of heaven, I mean, up out of the darkness up near heaven, and in that um, place, he called out angels, and we had a life review, and it was, um, started off really fun, and then as I progressed into my uh, teen years, and the uh, family uh, dissonance and all that stuff began, um, it wasn't so fun, because I could see how I was participating, you know, my father's uh, meanness, I would reciprocate by withholding my um, affection from him, which made him more, I mean, I could see the, you know, I always thought of myself as the victim. Yeah. And what I saw in my life review was, um, I participated in all of it, you know? And I could see myself as a person becoming more and more self-centered and less um, compassionate uh, towards people. And the angels and my new friend, Jesus, um, they never, um, in any way re reprimanded me or judged me, but I know that I made them terribly sad. And I felt awful about making my new friends who had been with me all my life. I mean, that was one, we all have a team of angels and I got to meet the team, you know, the Howard Storm team of angels. And I got <laughs> to meet them and they, and they showed me my life and they talked to me and they're great. And, uh, and Jesus, and, um, they knew everything every every bit of it and the ultimate point of that whole thing was all that mattered to them was how had i loved how had i cared about other people how had i treated people um and that's where i'd uh, missed the boat totally and they didn't care about my my wealth my positions my fame my <laughs> my successes my conquests and uh, <laughs> none of that meant anything to them um, and, uh, it was, um, talk about ego deflating, you know, it was devastating. And then, uh, when we concluded that Jesus said, do you have any questions? And I said, I have a million questions. So he said, well, what do you want to know? And so we had a long, uh, time of him teaching me, which consisted more of him taking him taking me places into the past into the future into other parts of the universe to other worlds um and i got a tour of heaven um but i was never a part of heaven just a tour like a tourist and at the end of uh my Q&A, when I couldn't think of anything more to ask, I said, I want to go to heaven. I want to be in heaven now, forever. And he said, no, that's uh, not where you're going to go. You're not uh, really qualified yet. What you need to do is you need to go back to the world and try and live the way that we've tried to uh, get you to understand what you were created for in the first place, which is to love people. And I, I had a big argument with him because I thought, that's it. It's that simple. No. It's yeah. And, uh, 
I mean, his exact, his exact words in response to my question, what do you want me to do when I go back, was his exact words, was love the person you're with. Um, that I, I had trouble understanding that. And so we had a long conversation about that. And he explained it over and over and over. And I, I was like having trouble getting it. Ultimately, I said, okay, 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 I'll try. And he sent me back. And when I came back, um, the nurse who had been in the room at 8.30 saying there was no doctor. It was now 9 o'clock. And she said, a doctor has arrived. That Saturday night, a doctor arrived at 9 o'clock. She said, get into the surgery. And I had that at 10 o'clock. Um, and um, I wasn't, I didn't do uh, well. I, I, I was septic, septus, yeah. um, understandably being 10 hours with, uh, you know, that profession. So uh, I, after a week, I left that hospital and came back to the United States. And I was in the United States and um, I had more surgeries and in the hospital for months and stuff like that. And went through a lot of things. Um, but the angels were with me the whole time. And many, many, many times they were there hanging out with me, encouraging me. Because uh, I sort of conclude my little um, narrative about my near-death experience with this is that... Um, all this I wanted to do was go home. And I'm not talking about here. I want to go home is heaven. Home is where we came from and where we go and where we are known and where we're loved and where we get to be something so wonderful in time. And uh, this is um, this is not the, for, the first choice <laughs> of anybody who's ever been to heaven yeah. yeah well that was beautiful first of all i i really want to give you a big hug and say thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> for you made me cry as well but for sharing that beautiful experience and that unconditional love like i i could feel it when you were thank talking you. about it and it must be well, it is traumatic i guess still to even though it was quite a time ago to experience what you went through. Yeah, um, I had a friend many years afterwards who was a psychiatrist one day said to me, he said, you know, you got PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. And uh, he said, um, like to uh, work with you. So he, he did some um, uh, rapid eye movement, REM therapy with me. It was very helpful. Mm. And it was interesting you talked about the concept of time, even though you might have only had a, your experience in our time for a half an hour, it probably seemed like eternity when you were down there. Oh, yeah. You, you, you can't. There's no way to actually state it. So when people say, how long was your experience? And I said, well, longer than graduate school. And I said, well, how long are you in graduate school? And I said, well, three and a half years. <laughs> I completely I mean, understand because time is really a construct of consciousness. So, yeah. yes, unfortunately, your negative experience went for eternity. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it, I just want to, sure. in, in the Bible, the word eternity never appears in the uh -huh. uh, Hebrew and in Greek. Okay. The, the words that are used in Hebrew group, Greek literally mean for a period of time. And so um, 
the English translators wanted to make um, particularly the punishment um, like forever and ever and ever. Yeah. And, and in fact, in the original language, it doesn't say that at all. I'm interested, if you don't mind me asking, you talk about down there, we, we as humans like to always give a name to things. Would you define that as hell, as what we term as hell? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, my best friend was a Catholic priest, and he said, you weren't in hell, you were in purgatory. I go, okay. You know, his name was Jim. Okay, Jim, I'm not going to argue with you. I want to call it purgatory, but trust me, it was hellish. <laughs> yes. And the other, I'm just going to call them beings that were in that space that you were experiencing, did they have an option to pray and go back to God and to Jesus? Absolutely. And I pray for them that someday they'll give up. I, my, my analogy is, you know, uh, in the U.S., ever since Dr. Spock on how to raise children, you know, we're not supposed to spank our kids anymore. What we do is, you know, you give them by, the, by their selves time. Like, you go, time go sit in the room. Yeah, time out. Go sit in the room for, you know, for an hour, and then you can come out or whatever. Um, I, I consider this a place where people get to uh, uh, have some time out and to, uh, to fulfill all of their desires uh, because it has to get tiresome at some point. At some point, they've got to say, this isn't working. You know, I don't like this anymore. Because, you know, when they first go down there, they're thriving. And uh, then after a while, it's like. This is not a good place to stay. Yeah, yeah. So God and Jesus always forgives. Always. God, God is, you know, the, there's this corny thing that we say, God is good all the time. My wife and I say it to each other, God is good all the time. Um, you know, um, God is not cruel. God is not punishing. God is not mean. He gives every person. And I hope people understand this. If I could get this across, I think it would be really significant. Do, yes. Every person gives every, every person exactly what they need and what their heart is craving. So are you of the belief that we have one life? We come back for one life and then we return to when our physical body dies, we return to heaven or hell. Yeah. And there's, well, there's more possibilities, but that's it in a simple sense. You know, um, when we go to, um, if we go to heaven, mm -hmm. which hopefully, and I, I, I mean, I'm not God, so I can't like say this is what happens. In the, and at, since God treats everybody individually, this, there's as many possibilities as there are individuals. But typically, what you do is that when you go to heaven, you grow and grow and grow. And then you um, may want to um, experience other things in other worlds. Coming back to this world is not particularly what anyone would ever want to do. Because um, when I asked Jesus the status of this world spiritually in relationship to the other worlds, he said, hmm kind of like the lowest this is this is below kindergarten this is preschool oh gosh we've got a long way to go <laughs> yeah so, so if <laughs> if you're in heaven yeah. and you wanted to have another physical life experience mm -hmm. you might want to go to college or graduate school in a place where um you know people have uh 
evolved spiritually into much wiser and more developed peace. You know, pe pe I don't want to talk about this too much because it gets so weird, but we will and are capable of capabilities that people can't begin to imagine. Um, for, uh, just for, I'll give you a couple for examples. Um, in the future, we will all be um, telepathically linked to all other beings on this planet and all the wise beings in the universe. If there, there won't be space travel because you can go there telepathically and yes. be there. You know, there's not going to be rocket ships in the future and, you know, traveling at the speed of light or war speed. No, you will travel instantaneously. You know, you want to go to another galaxy, you know, on the other side of the universe to be in another civilization of like really cool people. No problem. In the future, everybody on this planet will be linked to control the weather. People mm -hmm. will um, prayerfully, spiritually raise food. They, they showed, Jesus showed me some of the stuff. Like he, um, People would just sit there over a plant and it'll just grow up and they'll consume it. Boom, just like that. Amazing. I'd love to dive into that in a minute. I just wanted to ask about the other worlds. What do you define as the other worlds? Um, You know, the history of humanity, like, um, you know, a few thousand years ago, Louisa, you know, our tribe, we thought we were the only people in the world and everybody else was um, like subhuman. You, you know that the, the Greek word for stranger is barbarian. And the Greeks considered anybody that didn't speak Greek to be subhuman. Um, most tribes thought the, the other people weren't really people, you know, <laughs> we're, the, we're the only real ones. Um, I mean, that's, that's true almost universally and unfortunately has uh, been reflected and is even true today in terms of, of tribalism and racism all over the world. And, you know, as you well know, in fact, there, there are no races in this world. There's only one race. I mean, genetically, there's only one race and we're all, and we're all brothers and sisters. Um, and so we have gone in a very short period of time, a few thousand years from thinking we're the only ones, our, our little group of 120, <laughs> you know, the only ones in the whole world to like actually conceiving of multi-groups and creating, you know, nations. And then, uh, now, now we think, are we the only beings in the universe? Yes. And um, no, actually, uh, there's countless numbers of other beings in the universe. And some are, um, from our perspective, are godlike. But they, um, they wouldn't particularly be flattered by that because um, they all respect um, the sacredness of the God thing, which... Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's even almost blasphemous to even use that word. You know, it's the supreme being, the holy other, you know, the ultimate, you know, yes. uh, the holy one, um, whatever. Um, it's beyond words. You know, I mean, I, I like terms like the collective consciousness or pure awareness or what, you know. Supreme being's a good one. Yeah. Um, 
yeah. Well, this, the, this interview is about you. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> okay. So, um, they do amazing stuff. But the most amazing thing they do, and I don't want because, I mean, their, their achievements are so impressive because, like I said, they have godlike abilities. Mm. But what's really impressive is how they love and support one another. In their worlds, there is complete harmony between all beings and in the um, world that they live in, with the, with the nature that they live with. And that's our destiny here. I, I want to be completely in harmony with the tree fogs and the millipedes and the coyotes and the trees, you know, and the uh, grasses and the wind and with you. And everybody, that's 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 where I, I want to get to, and I actually, um, I mean, this sounds incredibly many, but I, I try to do that in my own pathetic way. Well, I don't think you're pathetic. I'm, I think you're wonderful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but I'm a tree hugger. <laughs> Good, yay! Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to talk about the, some. I don't know if you call I call them future memories or premonitions that you saw during your near death experience. If you wouldn't mind detailing some of those in the telepathy sounds quite very plausible, very real. Um, in this world now, we get little glimpses of these things. Um, so someone might say they have a power, but they're on them. You know, it's only a little bit of it. It's not like they're in fully control. And um, in the future, we, everybody will have these powers. You know, um, my understanding that we only use 10% of our brain. So what the heck is the other 90% for? And I, when I talked to Jesus about this, he said that um, you don't have these powers now because you will misuse them. Like, for ex let me give you, I mean, yeah. this stuff's coming from my conversation, which is, you know, we wanted um, the power of the knowledge of science to be to control materials. So we've done some good things. You know, we've got electricity and we've got, you know, um, central air conditioning systems. Our agriculture is terrible because we're destroying the planet with our, the way we practice agriculture. Mm -hmm. So um, let's not brag about that. We need to um, do agriculture in a totally different way. Um, in respect to the um, microbes in the earth and the, uh, anyways. Um, so what did we do with our scientific power? What's our really big achievement? Well, look around. Uh, we, we, we make these uh, instruments to project bits of metal into each other's body for dominance and to destroy people. And we do these things indiscriminately and we do these, we project little bits of metal into women and innocent women and children and men um, to, so that we can um, oppress them and dominate them. Um, and, I, and I live in a country that's been the most successful at that. We're, we're, the, we're the number one exporter of military equipment in the world. And you know what? Everybody resents us and is afraid of us. I'm talking about the US. Yes. Because everybody knows we have the power. You know, uh, Saddam Hussein had the fifth largest military in the world and we conquered him in three days. Three days, you know, wiped him out. You know, it's like, um, 
and you know, everybody, everybody is uh, dominated by our culture. I don't think America is the most evil place in the world. Matter of fact, I think there's a lot of good in America. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pro-American, but I'm not yeah. the way that we're going about it because I have seen in the underdeveloped world how our domination leads to exploitation. In my work in underdeveloped countries, there are people who are literally um, living below subsistence. In other words, they work hard six days a week or more, and they don't have enough money to feed their family, to clothe their family, to send their kids to school. There's no access to medicine. I mean, it, 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 and, and we're okay with that as long as the product that they produce is inexpensive, inexpensive for us and Europe to consume. Mm. And I'm talking about things like sugar, you know, coffee, chocolate. I mean, go on, you know, just all, yeah. the, all that stuff. And we just think that's all fine and dandy. And, and I know and their names and I've lived in their houses and I love those people, and they're the best damn people on the whole planet. They're so good. And they work their butts off for nothing. I'm sorry, it's just like, you know? You've got so much love inside of you. Yeah. Don't make, you're going to make me cry again. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see pictures? I'll show you pictures of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting tears now. I should, you should have told me to have the tissue box ready. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know what no, I'm talking about. I do. <laughs> you know? So what, what you saw or what you experienced, I'm crying now, what you experienced with Jesus, is, is the world going to become a better place? Absolutely. Um, we don't need to fear it, it, the destruction of our earth and our world. Well, first of all, there may be some chaotic times. It, you know, there may be some rough birth pains, but God's not going to destroy this world because he loves the world. He, he loves the little birds. You know, he loves the fish in the sea. He loves the, uh, the deer, um, you know, he loves the trees and the ground. I mean, this is all his stuff. He made all this stuff. I mean, God will forgive me if I put it this way, but God's a crazy artist. I mean, he's like, he's a whack job, you know, he, like, he, a total nutcase. I mean, he just makes all this stuff just for the fun of it. You know, I love nature programs. Can you see? I mean, the other night I saw a program on uh, Borneo and I saw critters that I'd like, really? I never even knew, you know, such strange, you know, just things. Just amazing. And then, I mean, let's just talk about orangutans. You know, let's just talk about them. It's so wonderful. You know, God loves them, you know, and they, and they are very closely related to us and we need to, you know, take better care of them. But anyways, um, God's not going to destroy this planet and he's not going to destroy humanity. But he might, um, if, if we don't um, progress in terms of loving one another and caring for each other and for this planet, um, by free will, then he'll take the uh, privileges away and uh, we'll have to rethink how we're um, treating one another and how we're treating this planet. Because all this, all this good stuff that uh, we so much enjoy in modern life, it's all a gift from God. 
I have to ask you, and you put, I'm sure you get this question all the time, why do so many people, why did we come to this earth and why are so many people suffering? It's so not necessary. Well, before I go to that, I want to say suffering can be a good thing. I mean, we can, we can use suffering to grow personally. And I don't know about anybody else because this is like some pretty individual stuff. I learn more from suffering than I do from when I'm um, blissfully happy. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, I learn when, more from extremes, unfortunately, as yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. um, I had a failed marriage of 40 years, and um, the pain of that was excruciating, of that marriage failing. And it makes me um, really, really want to succeed in my new... Uh, I've been married now 15 years to one Congratulations. I thank you, and I really want it to work, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> I'm willing to do anything, you know? I mean, you're a big softy. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 want me to clean the toilet? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> right away, sir. Is <laughs> um, how suffering can be good, but suffering's not really necessary because um, in today, you can heal people with faith. I've been there. I've seen it. I've participated in it. Um, and in the future, there won't be any of that kind of suffering. I mean, I, Jesus actually showed me um, in the, how people and the people will go over a person who has a problem and they'll just be healed right away. This is wonderful. I just, I, I'd love to go into that. I just want to backtrack to the telepathy and you talked about in the future. We won't move with our physical body, but we'll move with our soul or our spiritual body. Is that far off in the future? My experience was in 85, 1985, and Jesus told me that the things that he was showing me were 200 years into the future. Mm. Well, 85 was 35 years ago, so now it's a little closer. So um, I think it's, it's coming pretty well. I'm not going to be around to see it. Um, I nor my either. kids, but but you know it's not that far off. Well, I you mean, actually will be around, but you just won't be in a physical oh, yeah. body, right? <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I mean, even as a, a spiritual being, I hope to still be uh, involved in the progress of this world because I've got a lot of work to do. Mm. And things are moving so rapidly. They are, even though we feel like they're moving slowly. I guess my final question on premonitions and future. In your opinion, is the future already predetermined? Um, I very strongly believe that our free will is precious to God. So that what Jesus told me that God wanted this world to change 2,000 years ago. Well, he actually wanted to change before that. Mm. Uh, and God is very frustrated and disappointed with how um, slowly we have been to accept love and harmony. Um, we can retard the spiritual growth of this world, or we can um, make it rapidly, rapidly progress. I would like um, 
the people that see this program to understand that if we all dedicated our lives to love and kindness and charity towards one another and living in harmony, our little participation, which seems pathetically little, would actually um, really cause the progress to improve rapidly. Because Jesus was explaining to me that, um, and it's also simple, it's, it's the ripple effect. He said, if you go out and show love and kindness, it's going to profoundly affect a person. And then they're going to see that as the preferred way of interacting with the world and with people and show love and kindness and on and on and on and ripples out and ripples out. And I said to Jesus, well, yeah, but what if that person gets hit by a bus? You know, end of the program. And he said, no, there's millions of people in this and there's the billions of angels all behind this. It's not, we're not alone in this. You know, I'm not the only one in Louisa. You're not the only one. There's millions out there doing it. And one of the really cool things about traveling, and I regret right now because the pandemic, my wife and I can't travel. Neither can it. I. Yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> I was, frankly, uh, right now I should be packing for um, several weeks in Poland. Um, that's, what, what, that's what I had on my schedule, which I was very excited to do. And then after that, we were going to spend a week in Finland. Um, you Sounds know, all wonderful. That, yeah, it was, it was a wonderful plan. Now we have no plans to travel. But when we travel, I found out um, I got my bros and my sisters. I mean, I got my, my love buddies all over the world. I just didn't, I just hadn't met them yet. When I go around the world, I like fall in love like almost every day with someone. And like, wow, you know? I love, I love the term love buddies. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, well, you are a bundle of love. So of course you're going to attract <laughs> love buddies all around. But that's, you know, but that's the cool thing that if you, if you have the love inside and really work on that, being as loving as possible, it, there's a magnetic attraction. Yes. And conversely, and this is what Jesus told me. And 35 years later, it's like, man, that guy like knew what he was talking about. I mean, the converse is if you have uh, cruelty, evil, envy, greed, you know, lust, whatever in your heart, you attract that. So what, what, what you are is what you attract. So if you don't like the people that you attract, it's like you better look into your heart and into your soul because like you're the one that's drawing them. Mm. Um, that's a, I mean, this is one of your principal messages you came back with and what a, you know, what a beacon of light you are to the like, world. And I, I, obviously after your near-death experience, you became a, a pastor, reverend. Yeah. And you talked briefly before about the power of prayer and how, how you can heal. You've seen miracles and suffering within people that were suffering. Do you mind just having briefly discussing the power of prayer and okay, limiting I'll, suffering? I'll, I'll talk about the most amazing experience I had. Uh, I went with a group of Americans. They were all doctors and nurses and pharmacists. Uh, there were 30 of them to the Amazon River. We started in Iquitos, Peru and went on the Amazon there and went um, east on the river and visited villages to do medical mission. And I, I was the evangelist. I, they, the doctors would, pro we were at the little villages, were roughly 100 people, some a little less, some a little more. Yeah. Um, we went to very primitive villages. I mean, very primitive. 
and um, they would do uh, they, met, they would examine everyone and then um, give them free meds or prescribe things, whatever. And then everybody had to come and talk to me. So I would see them in groups. And um, on the last day of that mission, which was wonderful, and many good things happened, we were in a uh, village called uh, Nuevo Esperanza. Um, Habla Espanol? No. Oh, New Hope. Nuevo Esperanza, <laughs> New Hope. Okay. Which is like, whoa. I mean, like, you know, yes. it, I mean, I just got chili bumps just thinking. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't get it. And when I went to the village, um, the people were so cool. And I knew that, like, I mean, like, I, w I, was, I was tingling all over. Yeah. And then they, then they said to us, we wanted, they wanted us to have worship with them that evening. So normally we got back on the boat before dark because like none of us wanted to be in the Amazon jungle at night. <laughs> no, like I, little... I don't know why. Scary. Okay. There's no lights. I mean, they have no electricity or anything. Just like we were with them all day. Okay. When the, when the sun goes down, we're in the safety of the boat and they get to, you know, wash up and have dinner and stuff like that. But they sure. wanted us to stay and worship. So we went, okay, whatever. Well, the worship started and um, it was, I'm, I mean, stuff started happening. So to get to the point, to cut to the chase here. So the doctors come up to me and they go, Pastor, that guy's been paralyzed all of his life. And we prayed over him. See him over there? He's dancing. He's jumping up and down dancing. See that woman over there? She's been blind all of her night, life. Now she sees. See that man over there? He had a huge tumor on his deck neck and we prayed over him and the tumor went away and now he's you know free of what you know that tumorous condition um on everybody in that village was healed that night wow incredible. nine amazing stuff happened to me that night but it was like what <laughs> that night when we walked back to the boat back through the jungle back to the banks of the amazon and got on the boat and we um met and talked um and the next day we we're like nobody's gonna believe us nobody's gonna believe us <laughs> but we were all there i'm with i'm with these you know what doctors. you felt you know what you well these said. were real doctors these are md they, they went there to do good you know yeah to help poor people real nurses i was the only religious in the whole group you know yeah <laughs> and they're all like freaking out and coming to me is how can this happen? How can this happen? Of course I had an answer, you know, hey, it's God, you know, God's doing this stuff. Don't worry about it. It's good. God is good. But I've seen, I've seen healings. I've seen people come back to life. I mean, I've seen all kinds of crazy things. Mm. I don't like to talk about it too much because I, I feel like I'm going to lose my credibility. <laughs> okay. okay. We can, we can, we can move on. <laughs> you know, people <laughs> think I'm a, a whack job, you know? I don't think so. I think you're expressing yourself beautifully. Thank you. Now I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> so just, just after your native experience, when you came back to America, were you instantly changed? Obviously, after a native experience, people say they, they're fundamentally changed for a, a greater expanded version of themselves. Yeah. Did you change... Right. Instant. I don't like the word instantly, but yeah, well, we fundamentally yeah, changed from I, that I, point. I was, I was very changed, but not as much as I'd hoped. I thought 
I mean, this is funny. I mean, this is hysterically funny. Um, I thought that when I came back, I'd be a saint. I mean, I'd be so holy, you know. Right. And uh, levitating. Yeah, I was not. <laughs> I mean, I had to. I mean, I had to struggle to give up cigarettes, <laughs> which I used to smoke three packs a day. That was that was really That's tough. A, yeah. Um, I lust, <laughs> give up lust. You know, that took a long time. Is lust a bad thing? Um, I'm using lust in the same sense of uh, drunkenness. Like drinking is not bad. Mm-hmm. Drunkenness is bad. Excessiveness. Desire, does sexual desire. Um, I mean, I tell guys all the time, you, you should notice that woman's butt and her boobs and her legs and her thighs and her arms and her face and her lips. I mean, God made, that's a flower, man. Dig the flower. It's beautiful, <laughs> you know? And it's okay to say, whoa, 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 whoa. I really like that flower, you know? I mean, like, you know, go to the beach and have a good time. But when you, when you want to possess it, you know, when you want to make it your own and stuff like that, that's not yours, you know, mm-hmm. like, and I try and get people to think like, um, you don't want people to feel that way about your wife or your sister or your child or your mother, do you? And they go, no, you know, I'd kill the guy that thought about my, you know, my daughter that way. And it's like, right. Well, why are you doing it to some other person's daughter? You, know? you don't, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between um, attraction and we are made to be attracted to each other. I mean, God made us that way. So like, you know, you, you can't fight it. I mean, every man I know, well, every straight man, um, you know, is very att- overly attracted to women and struggles with it. But, uh, but God made us that way. Um, and it's, it's fine. It's just, it's not for the, the key word here is domination and possession. Right. I can, lo- I, no, I'm going to get in trouble with my wife. I can love you but not possess you. And, and that is love. We, we, get so, you know, we get so misconstrued with our concept of love and relationships yeah. in this world. You know, I, I give you an example. My um, wife, she loves hiking in the woods. And I'm talking about, um, she goes into wilderness areas with uh, groups and they're gone for days and they carry everything on their back. You know, I mean, they go for miles and miles and miles. And I mean, she's done, she's done mountains out in California and, um, you know, all, all kinds of like um, really big hikes in wilderness areas. And I'm happy for her. I don't go, I mean, not my thing. I don't do it. And she's off with, but I, I trust her. I love her. And um, she comes, she comes back so happy and elated and like, you know, yay. People, people ask me like, why do you let your wife do that? And you're like, why wouldn't I let her do? It's her joy. And that is true love. Yeah. yeah. And your love together and your bond can only go stronger from, uh, mm-hmm. from honoring each other. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, real love is you want the person to be free. Mm. Not, you're not trying to enslave them, right? Control them. Yeah. Absolutely true. What a, what another another beautiful message. <laughs> Thank you. I've asked you all the questions. Is there something you'd like to talk to the Passion Harvest audience about? Um, we 
don't need to be doctrinally rigid. Um, the, the word that I use is legalism. I think being legalistic, which I mean, I help people understand what I'm talking about, making up a bunch of rules and saying, you must do this and you can't do that. And this is right and that's wrong and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way. The, this love, I, 35 years of trying to be more loving, is, it's about listening to your heart, listening to the spirit of God that's in all of us. It's about seeing the beauty in each person. Um, I, real briefly, I've done some prison ministry, yeah. and the guys that I've been with aren't real pretty, and they aren't, like for me, very attractive because they're covered with tattoos, and they've done really horrible things, things I don't even want to know about. You know, I mean, really, I've dealt with um, really bad boys, mm -hmm. death row people stuff. And when you get to know them and get with them, they're beautiful, beautiful human beings. And I end up hugging them and kissing them on the cheeks and telling them I love them and they hug me and kiss me back and love them. And like people say like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> say, You're no, probably no, the no. only one that's ever really loved them or shown them love and affection. Poss possibly. And I, um, that, that's what I want to do is I want to hear them and be with them. I'm not there to fix them. The only person that's going to fix them is themselves, and they're going to do that with the help of God. My my thing is to explain to them, no, you're you're not a loser. You're not a criminal. You're not you know. You're a beautiful being who has so much to give to this world, you know. Mm. Um, that that's what I want people to say. It's not about rules. It's not about punishment. Um, it's about loving and trusting your heart and looking for the, it's about looking for the good and the love in other people and finding it and sharing it. That's what it's about. What a wonderful message. And I guess in essence, we are all divine beings of God. Mm -hmm. Yep. And precious, precious to God. God loves everybody so much. Even, even the ones that are bad, you know, I got in real trouble with my church when, uh, United States um, went into Afghanistan and I was um, praying for Osama bin Laden. The people in my church got angry with me and I said, wait a minute, he needs our love. He needs our prayers. What, what? And I'm like, no. <laughs> it's like, Rules, yeah. Well, I mean, so, I mean, it is, everything comes down to love. It, it, it's such a beautiful message. And I have to say, I think I love you <laughs> as well. And I can't wait to, I hope one day I get to meet you and give you a big hug. That'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Reverend Howard Storm, it has been just insightful. I've cried four times and laughed a lot during our interview. <laughs> I, it's been such a profound honor and what a message you're, you're spreading across the world. And I want to thank, thank you so much for being on thank Passion you. Harvest. Yeah, you're you're a very lovely person. You're very easy too. <laughs> it was very easy for me. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you Pleasure. so much. Lots of love. Bye for now. And to you also. Bye-bye. Bye. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening. And please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.